0: This is the Unity Community of Central Oregon podcast. Like Jane said, Claire and I, my wife, my partner, have been together for almost 40 years. Kind of crazy, if you think about it. 40 years, and it started back in high school. And in high school, I remember, I'm going to tell you the story. When we first met, it was a Civil Air Patrol which is like Cub Scouts of the sky, you learn how to fly, right? And, and I went into the Civil Law Patrol so I could learn how to fly for free, and I walk in there, and there in the front, in a uniform, is this beautiful girl. At least the back of her head was beautiful anyway. And then eventually I got to see, ooh, that is a beautiful girl. I'm going like, to work my way up to the front row, you know. So I came, and then eventually, you know, I... I knew that she noticed me because I drove up in a Mustang and I had like the cut-off shirt and it was a beach bum guy, so I was pretty. Um, what? Um, you you totally were falling for me. I did not, not
1: even notice you. And if I did. It was
0: because you were kind of weird. Okay. Regardless, regardless, I worked my way up to finally asking her for a date, and I asked her. I said. I got these two tickets for Oingo Boingo, and I came in one day, and I'm like, oh, whew, remember Oingo Boingo? Yeah. And I said, I think she likes Oingo Boingo, so I said, hey, uh, Claire, I'm Kevin, you, you probably already know that. Uh, I got two tickets to Oingo Boingo if you want to go. And she goes, oh, sure, my friend Marie and I would love to go. <laughs> and I'm like, well,
1: yeah, of course. Is that? Well, maybe we are thinking, you, we, you
0: can maybe come with us. Oh, that, that's what you were thinking. So I'm thinking, all right, so she's blowing me off. She wants to take the tickets and go with her friend and blah, blah, blah. So anyway, eventually it worked out. And we have been together. We have done everything together. We traveled together. We grew up together. We are so aligned Politically, spiritually, physically, we love to do the same things. It's kind of actually kind of freaky how much we enjoy spending time together. And we have done this for 40 years. We even worked together for about 20 years in a business, managing side by side, which some people say, you're absolutely freaking crazy. Nobody works with their wife and comes out alive. But we did. So we'd come home together, we'd spend time together, we'd travel together. We do just about everything. And, and it's kind of funny because people would say, you know, if, if you're with somebody long enough, you actually start to look like each other, you know? And well, what do you think? <laughs> For Eric, there's a, there's a picture of Claire and I as one on the screen. I know it's, it's kind of scary, so I'm gonna get that one off the screen there as soon as possible. So Clevin, Claire and I, we're traveling to Peru, and on our way back from Peru, we are downloading shows to watch on the airplane. And I, somebody told us about this show, um, Tyler Henry, Life After Death. He's like a medium, right? And he can read people's whatever. It sounded really interesting, so I downloaded a bunch of shows, and we're watching it on the airplane, and the very first episode, the screen that comes up when it starts to play is that Tyler Henry, famous medium, has a waiting list of 200,000 people, and I'm like, I I paused it, I'm like, am I reading that right, 200,000 on a wait list, how do you even manage that wait list like that, number one, but like, whoa, and so we looked at each other, and we're like, wow, that's incredible, that's amazing, Watch the rest of the show, we watched a few episodes, it's actually a really thought-provoking show, whether you believe in it or not, I thought, we had some great conversations around it, so, anyway. Fast forward a couple weeks, we get home. This is not too long ago now. We just went to Peru a couple months ago. We get home, we're having a conversation with some friends, and we're telling them about this show with Tyler Henry. And we're talking about we're talking about it, talking about it I'm saying, hey, what's amazing is he has a wait list of 200,000, almost a quarter million people on his wait list. And Claire goes, no, no, that's 300,000. I said, no, 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 no. I remember, we paused it, we looked at that screen, and it said... 200,000 people. And she's like, no, no, no. It was 300,000. So over the years, we've had lots of opportunities to disagree, believe it or not. And sort of our, our way of handling this is a wager. So we have a wager whenever we think the other is wrong, the other's right, and it varies. And the, the top tier de facto standard wager that we will throw out there is the FBM, which is the full-body massage. (laughs) And it only gets wagered on very specific occasions when we are absolutely sure we're going to win this bet. So I busted out the FBM. I said, I will bet you a full-body massage, and I can prove it because I knew it in my head. I'm like, do-do-do-do-do, Netflix app on my phone, pull up the Netflix app, I'm looking at this thing, dial up um, Tyler Hendry, play the entry screen, I know exactly where it is, played it on the screen, and I showed it to Claire. (laughs) How does that happen? How does that happen? I was... And, and I know a lot of you are, you know, you're like, yeah, yeah, I forget things. Like, No, but I'm telling you guys, I would have wagered anything on this bet. I would have wagered anything. I was so 100% absolutely sure I was right, and there was proof, and I was wrong. And that shook me a little bit to my core. That This wasn't that long ago. I don't have dementia yet, as far as I know, Maybe I do, but that rocked my world. I couldn't get over it for a while, so I really started to like panic a little bit and question my reality. Is everything that I know to be true true? So then, not too much longer after that, we were having another conversation with some friends, and we recalled a story about when our kids were, were really tiny. We have two boys and we were hanging out with some guests that had come over, and we are telling the story to another friend. And our conversation that night was around how their kids always hurt themselves, always hurt themselves. And to punctuate that conversation, my son Kai comes running around the corner on the hardwood floor with his socks on, slides into the corner of the wall, and splits his head wide open. (laughs) Boom, boom, on the floor, blood everywhere, and Claire and I look at her and go, okay, who's going to the hospital this time? (laughs) So we rochambeau, a Poe for those of you from Hawaii. <laughs> Boom. I lost. I got to go to the hospital. And I remember sitting there with the doctor in the hospital, and the doctor saying to Kai, do you want stitches or glue? And Kai goes, I want stitches. And about this point, Claire interjects and goes, wait a minute, I was the one that went to the hospital with Kai. You stayed home with the guests. I went to the hospital. I'm like, no, 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 no. I went to the hospital, I have that distinct memory of the doctor saying, do you want stitches or glue? She, <laughs> and she's like, no, 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 I remember that. Why? Who's right? That one, we can't actually remember or figure out who was right. I could ask Kai. But the crazy thing now was now I'm saying, Okay, not only do I not remember the details, but I'm putting her or me, or she's putting me, in a situation that the other was in and thinking it happened to them. She's completely, or I'm completely, believing that a situation that happened to somebody else happened to me. And that really got scary. (laughs) Yeah. So I started to do a little research. Because this wasn't like, you know, it wasn't a fuzzy memory. This was a pretty clear, brutally rememberable incident, right? So I started to do some research. So, (laughs) there are so many actual realities. And as you dig into memory, what I found is that memories in everybody are fallible. Not just because you're old. And there's tons and tons of research about memories being fallible and the implications for law and the court of law, how eyewitness accounts cannot be accounted for, cannot really be trusted, they can be wrong completely, and how people implant memories by suggesting things. Oh, do you remember when we went to the zoo and you cried? And all of a sudden you're remembering, yeah, I guess I did go to the zoo and I cried. And it is proven. There's so much research. In fact, check this out. Okay, You don't need to read all this stuff. But these are just 10 of the many ways our memories can get messed with and screwed up and biased and tweaked. These are known scientific things that have been tested and proven over and over again. Now, I'm not going to read them all because that's that's a whole... We could talk about this all day long. But the thing that, that really kind of freaked me out is that we are prone to forget. And we're actually designed to forget. And then I started to think about if Claire and I, here we are, two people so aligned, probably more aligned and similar than anybody else that I could ever met or know about for 40 years, can see the same situation and view it differently, remember it differently, interpret it differently, how easy is it for us to interpret, see things differently from regular people who are not super aligned with? How easy is it for us to have a totally different reality from other people and they could be just as right or wrong as we are? I'm thinking about politics. I'm thinking about religion. I'm thinking about anything, anything that we can disagree about it's like it's, it's set up for us to be wrong. <laughs> we can be so wrong. So I want to show you this one, um, this quick video, which kind of explains the memory thing a little bit and how it works. And then we'll, we'll go from there. Hold on,
1: hold on. Have you done this before? What about this? It's only human to want to capture memories that doesn't mean that's how our memory actually works in fact there's more than one kind of memory when we talk about memories of events we're talking about episodic memory we create episodic memories by encoding sensory information from the world into our brains these become memory traces which are stored until they are retrieved a fancy word for remembering however you don't remember things exactly exactly as they were. Memory is constructive. Each time you remember a memory, you're actually rebuilding it using Mm. those memory traces and your Mm. own guesswork. That's why psychologist Elizabeth Loftus compares memory to a Wikipedia page. You can edit it, but that means other people can too. And they're not always right. (laughs) When a memory is distorted by wrong information before it's retrieved, this is known as the misinformation effect. Literally hundreds of studies have shown the misinformation effect. In one study, colleagues showed people a car accident. questions about the scene. Some were given a question with misleading information that mentions a yield instead of a stop sign, while some saw a question with consistent information. Later, those who were misinformed were about 20% more likely to incorrectly. Report that they saw a yield sign. Those who receive the correct information. Mm-hmm. Take to the extreme, misinformation can send an. In- you wouldn't want to be in a police lineup with a misinformed eyewitness. Eyewitness memory is easily distorted if there are suggestive police procedures. For example, if a police officer unintentionally in- implies that the crook is in the lineup. When witnesses talk to each other, they also share information that might not be true. Despite this, many judges and judges are convinced that eyewitness evidence is the most persuasive kind of evidence out there. This has serious consequences. Out of the 314 prisoners who have since been proven innocent, almost three out of four were mistakenly identified by an eyewitness. Although no one is immune to the misinformation effect, young children and the elderly are the most prone to it. In addition, The effects are strongest after a long period of time, when the memory trace becomes so weak that we rely almost entirely on external information to reconstruct the memory. So go ahead and take a picture. It'll last longer and it'll be more accurate. Well,
0: mostly. (laughs) That was a uh, student video uh, done for a psychology website on studying these things. (laughs) <laughs> so let's think about that for a minute. How many? That, that's a small example of the many ways we can be absolutely sure we're right, and yet we are absolutely completely wrong. And I think that that can be very humbling, and it's also kind of scary. Is that scary to any of you to think that what you base your identity on is what you've learned or you think you've learned from school, from your parents, from your experiences in life, all these things that we base who we are on could be based on misinformation. Scary, right? A little bit scary, but it's also good because we're kind of designed this way. And if you think about one of the the studies that the, the researchers come up with is that the Misremembering of the past allows us to actually feel better about ourselves in the present. We're able to build meaning on incidences and occurrences and reflect upon it and have that make meaning in our life so we can go forward and move on. Personally, I see it as the element of forgiveness. How could you ever forgive if you didn't forget, right? How could you move on? How could you make space for learning something new if you held on so tightly to something concrete, like a memory in the past, that was inaccurate. As I'm, this is all starting to rock my world as I'm doing this research and thinking about, um, some of you might remember I did a talk not too long ago about my mom who has dementia and her presence because of dementia and her memory loss, and that's something that we've been dealing with. And of course, that's been on my mind, and I've been researching about memory loss. And now, this whole component comes in where it's not just my mom, it's me, and it's everybody. It's even this young lady with the beautiful young mind. Sorry, but you probably forget some stuff. You know, it's true. So, what does that mean? Well, I started to think about it, and there's a process that I think that we can use to become more engaged, and aware. So, how do we be aware? Reverend Jane always has these great acronyms, so of course I'm, I'm all about the acronyms too. And it actually worked beautifully when I started to think about what aware and the process of being aware looks like. So, number one is acknowledge. So first of all, you got to acknowledge, yep, I'm prone to forget. No matter my age, no matter who I am, I am prone to forget I am probably wrong at least 50% of the time. If not more, I am probably wrong. All right, great. So then what are you going to do about that? Well, then you've got to be willing to do something about it. It's not enough to say, okay, so maybe I'm wrong, but screw the world. That's, uh, you know, it's all about me anyway. So, <laughs> no, we're willing. We have a willingness now to do something about it to change our world and our views and the way we work with other people in the world. So there's a willingness. And then the part that I like a lot, action. Action can start, everybody right here can start with one thing, which is intentional listening to other people. Why is that important? It's on two levels. Number one, because you let go of your missed memories of what you think they are or what you know about them. Right? We let go of that, and intentional listening simply means that you are going into a conversation or online or whatever it is, but let's start with conversations one-to-one. The intention of learning something about this person, who they are, where they're coming from, what they're all about. And here's the clue to know that you're actually doing good intentional listening. The follow-up question. Do you ask the follow-up question? For example, if I say, how are you doing today, you know, and she's, Carol's like, uh, you know, I'm all right, a lot of us would go, oh, me too, gosh, I've had the worst week, you know, yes, I can totally relate, this totally sucks, oh, I've got to get ready to go do my talk right now, I'm going to go. The follow-up question would be, tell me more, why aren't you feeling so great? Share with me, open up, let's talk. The follow-up question, just remember the follow-up question, is the key to starting intentional listening. And so when we do that for other people, we let go of what we think we know about them already, which is likely wrong or skewed, right? Okay, the next part of that intentional listening part is that when people share emotionally, are engaged in sharing, they remember and they implant better memories too. That's how our our memories that stick with us, stick with us because we emotionally are charged and we share them and somebody listens. So if you want to help somebody implant great memories, listen to them with intention. Listen to them with engagement. Cut. The next, next part of that is the reflection. And reflection, like Jane mentioned earlier, write it in your diary. After an encounter, after a meeting, after a party, when you had some good interactions with people, write down what you learned about them some stories about them, things that are actual facts that you can now refer to and verify. This is true, which would have been helpful for Claire and I on many occasions if I would written these things down. (laughs) Reflect, and reflection helps you remember. And then finally, you're gonna engage. Engage, engage is two parts, engage and encourage, meaning you take what you learn in your reflection and you apply that to your next interaction, and you encourage yourself and you encourage others that this is what I need to do to become a more aware individual. And it has implications on us for our health. Why? Less stress. Can you imagine how you would feel if you didn't have to prove you were right all the time? What a relief, right? Like, what if you didn't have to fight or argue or prove you're right ever again? You just let it go. The stress goes way down. You're a happier, healthier human. The world's a better place. So, we're engaging. Here's a great quote. The eye sees only what the mind is prepared to comprehend. So are you in a place that you can see something different, that you can see that there may be difference of opinion, differences in reality? Are you prepared to see that? This one really struck me. The desire to be right is the thirst for truth. That's good. The desire to have been right, on the other hand, is the pride that goeth before the fall. Does that sink in for you? It's like, yes, the search for truth is good. We want to be truthful. We want to find the truth. We want to be honest and fine and know what's really happening. But to prove that in hindsight means nothing. All it is is your ego, serving your ego. To say, oh, I was right. I was right all along, like me trying to prove it to Claire, pulling up my stupid app, throwing it in her face and going, read it and weep, honey. You're right. That was my ego. That was purely my ego, and the fact that I wanted to get the full body massage, which I, I, get to, I get guess giving her a full body massage is about as good as getting one. So, pretty excited about that, actually. <laughs> what does all this mean for us spiritually, personally? It means that we see the world differently. We see our adversaries, our people in the other churches, whatever they are, on the other side of the lines, politically, whoever they are, the people of different races and backgrounds, whoever they are, we can let that go. I personally have seen a change in myself over the past few years as I've recognized this and learned to let go and learned to say, you may be right. Those are magic words, by the way, you may be right. And we've heard that said before from various people. If you don't agree with somebody, you don't have to argue. You can just say, you may be right. Done deal. And you don't follow it up with your butt. You may be right, but (laughs) Dang dang it. You may be right. Okay. And that's all you gotta do. And that just diffuses so much. And so I'm learning to do that with my little love of the life. I have one more, one more really really vivid memory. And I haven't talked about this one with, with Claire, and you're not allowed to change it or alter it. <laughs> Years ago when we were married, but before we had children, we were at Lake Tahoe with my cousin, and we had just gone skiing, it was a blizzard, and we're driving home, and the snowbanks were 15, 20 feet tall, and Claire and I are in the backseat of the car, and as my cousin turned into the driveway, the car just kept going sideways into oncoming traffic on my side, and I looked, and all I could see was the headlights of a big truck right before it slammed into me. And when everything stopped rocking and my world stopped turning, I realized I couldn't move. My whole body was pinned because the car was crushed. I couldn't breathe, barely. I looked over, and Claire was okay, because she was on the opposite side. And I just sat there, pinned, and I'm thinking, This might be what it's like to die because I can't breathe. And all I wanted to say, all I could remember wanting to say at that moment was, I love you, Claire. I love you. And I think I said it. I, I remember saying that, that every that I had no breath left, but all I could say was, I love you, and I was laying on her shoulder, and she was comforting me, and we were waiting for the ambulance, and, the fire, and they had to bring the fire truck with the jaws of life to cut the car open, to peel it off of my body, and, and amazingly, I wasn't, I wasn't dead. <laughs> but I thought this might be the end, and in my mind, in my memory, all I could remember was, I need to tell Claire I love her. And the reason that memory's been important to me all these years is because I reflect on it when I'm angry and I'm not getting over it quick enough. Or I say something rude or mean to her and I, and I regret it. And then I, I reflect on that. I'm like, I. Already know what the last words are going to be for me when it's time for me to go. I've been there and I know what it's going to be, and so I'm not going to waste any more time messing around. And I hope that whatever memories that you have in your life that are weighing you down, you can let go of. Just let go and make some room for some really great memories. Make some room to hold on to the memories like that that inspire you to be a better person and to live better in the world. Namaste, thank you.